people were buying everything up. It didn't matter how much it cost. It didn't matter what the revenue projections were. They didn't look at P&Ls or performance and none of the numbers. My 2024 prediction is a lot of people are going to leave short-term rentals and transition back to their W-2. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. Dr. Rachel Gainsbro. What is up, homie? How are you? Welcome back. Yes. This was well overdue, okay? We got to just do this every year, beginning of the year, a little reset and figure out what each other's doing. We were talking in the green room a little bit earlier, just navigating what went well in 23, how we're pivoting for 24. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, it's annual. Let's do a quarter. Let's do a month. Let's just do it weekly. Look, let's I'll just text. It. I'll text you good morning. I'll text yeah. you good morning every morning. Let's no, but I, yeah, I freaking love you. We've been friends for a couple of years now, which is insane yeah. to think about. And I think you were, I think over a year and a half ago on the pod so you were balling out a year and a half ago which is insane to think about for this show because now it's just like completely night and day we've posted your episode a couple of times so it's time for an update and today's episode is going to be a cool one because we're going to go into not only who are you and what do you do for people that are brand new and for people that want rachel's backstory which is amazing and i highly recommend that you listen to it we'll post it in the show description for you guys to go listen to that goes through your entire exodus from your pharmaceutical career to short-term rental investing and now where we are today so what we're talking about today is we're recording this on january 17th 2024 there's been a lot of turbulence in the short-term rental market People are going left sideways, and it's the topic of today's podcast is Airbnb billions or Airbnb bust. So how do we make sure that we're in the first category and not the second here? So who is Rachel Gainsborough for people that don't know who you are yet? And then we'll dive into it. Absolutely. I'm just this little girl from Haiti, my friend. Born there, raised in the inner city of Miami, did the things, got the doctorate, and thought to myself, oh my goodness, I have made it. Fast forward to uh, post-graduation, half a million dollars in student loans. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have done it. <laughs> and so jumped on the Dave Ramsey train as quickly as possible. Got some of that debt taken care of. But I switched my Dave Ramsey hat rather quickly and got into my bigger pockets girl mode. And that's where I learned about real estate. And that really changed the trajectory of my life. All that hard work we were doing with paying down debt, right? I don't know if I told you all of this, but I didn't see a a massive increase in our net worth until we got into the real estate game. And so I was hooked. I was like, okay, so this is the shortcut. And so fast forward from there, landed ourselves on a Netflix TV show because of one of our luxury short-term rentals. I have been showing other busy professionals medical doctors, attorneys, engineers, 
how to leverage the strategy with just one or two. One or two short-term rentals can change the trajectory of your life if you buy it correctly, if you ran the numbers correctly, if you uh, repositioned it correctly. So that's essentially who I am. I get to do uh, what I love. I've turned my uh, W-2 income into my passionate income. So that's what I get to do all the time. And I thank you so much, Brian, for having this platform where you hold uh, W-2 earners accountable and you show them a pathway. That's why we are so aligned, my friend. And yeah. so if you're listening right now, please share this with others that you know who are fighting for their lives on these W-2 streets because they need to learn what Brian is teaching out there. Yeah, the same thing with you. Come on now. You got you run short-term gems as well. You have a great educational platform. We've got an awesome partnership because you're over in Action Academy and you're helping people out and you're in the short-term yeah. rental chat helping people out. And there's a lot of cross-pollination between the two and it's awesome because you're the OG in the space and I love it. You're one of my good friends and I love having you in there and every single person is just a huge Rachel fan. They're like, oh, she's the best. And I hear it over and over again from old members, new members. And so it's amazing. So let's go through because I don't even know what your portfolio is today because back you were balling out before. So where are we at today? I know that your claim to fame is you get big cash flow numbers without having to manage hundreds and hundreds of units. So where are we at today with the portfolio? As of today, we're about 18 to 20 because we have two that are in transition right now. And one of my mantras, although I say you only need one or two, we have generated quite a buzz. And so we have continued to grow our portfolio, but I don't foresee us growing it to hundreds and hundreds of no, properties. No. That is not a vibe for me. So for those of you who are in multifamily, don't come for me. I know that's a different <laughs> arena, more power to you. And I have door envy just like any other girl. Okay. When I hear, oh, I've got a hundred doors for a moment. And then I think about what's the cash flow looking like on those. And then I can, yeah. I go back and I sit down. I was like, yeah, because I know that our properties cash flow more than some of our colleagues who have 60, 70 properties. And they tell me that all the time. They're like, oh, Rachel, these 60 properties are burning our biscuits and we are not seeing the numbers that you're seeing. So being very strategic. So what that means, Brian, it, it requires a lot of patience. I, I say no before I say yes. My default is no, not a deal. I was looking at five deals yesterday. Nothing. <laughs> was interesting to me because the numbers I, I wasn't seeing the the path to cash flows yeah i'm curious because this is now we're a year and a half deep and before you were doing like and you can share whatever numbers you want i think you were doing yeah. like two 200 a month or something like that before is yeah. that still around or do you like what's it at today it's around there. I would say we've had a couple 400 months, but yeah, oh. we're doing good. We, yeah, end of year, we landed over three, three million again. So that was great. That's sick. So when we're doing this, I guess a question that I have that I didn't have before, just because now we've helped so many people that have come through Action Academy that have been like, oh, I'm looking to scale and do this and this. Yeah. And for me, for short term rentals, it seems difficult to scale. Not that you're wanting to scale, but it's just like, I can't really see a way outside of just revenue snowballing it, which is what I think you did where you bought the first one and then you just took all the excess revenue from that and then use that to buy the second one. And then it's just a compound effect. I can't really figure out how to scale. So like for me, I'm like, why not just buy hotels? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Again, we're looking for cash flow. And okay. I'm not seeing the early onset cash flow in the hotels that I'm seeing with short-term rentals. Right, okay. a single family home, one single family home in the right market can generate you anywhere from 8,000 to 28,000 a month. Okay. And how much does it cost to get in there? If you get the right loan, one of them we bought for $19,000. We're in there. Show me a hotel I can purchase for $19,000. Those numbers are not approachable unless you are spending a lot of time capital, figure out ways to raise capital, the literal, literal capital. And mm-hmm. so with hotels, every boutique hotel, and I'm going to hurt some feelings. Is it okay if I hurt some feelings? And I'm going to say it Go from the it. bottom of my heart. Okay. Every boutique hotel, owner that I know is in my DMs telling me that they are not cash flowing. They're undergoing major renovation. They may see cash in three years, Brian. Mm. Every Mm. single one. Because that upfront capital is not playing with you. There's a lot of upfront capital that goes into play to get a boutique hotel up and running and standing up to look like somebody, look like something people will want to pay for. And sometimes these are motels with a bad reputation. So it's going to take a lot of cleaning up to get it there. I want cash flow in 30 days if I can possibly make that happen. I want the first month's mortgage being paid for by the guests. This is the fastest path to cash. It's a single family home. They're coming. I know they're coming for me. I'm going to get a lot of hatering, but it is my experience. And I'm telling you, Check my DMs. I have the receipts. <laughs> we will yeah. redact everyone's names. But the struggle is real because I, too, am interested in boutique hotels. But for me, that's the long game. It is not the cash flow game if I'm in a W-2 looking to get out right now. Yeah. And I love your strategy, which we'll get into in a second. But first, I want to highlight an important fact, which is there's two focuses that people have, you know, that people should have. And these are billion-dollar focuses. And I, I think everyone is focused on the wrong stuff. So because we coach, so we both coach so many people now, everyone is so focused on how do I buy a property? Or how do I buy... They're focused on the unit count, right? Or how do I buy four properties? How do I buy 50 properties? How do I buy... And what they're doing is they're so focused on this arbitrary number that they're not asking the two most valuable and expensive questions that you could possibly ask in wealth building in life. The first question is, what game do I want to play? Second question is, what problem do I want to solve? And so when we're talking about playing the game, here's an example. So people, you take a single family home. Somebody, person one, is playing the game of, okay, I want to buy this property in cash flow $200 a month, long-term rental, right? You could take a a property in that same market with the game that you're playing with how you were doing like the, with your short-term rental strategy, because you have a very specific niche, which we'll get into second. You're just playing a separate game, but because you're playing the game, you could take the same asset for the most part in the same market and you're doing $8,000 a month from that as opposed to the $200 a month, just because you're thinking about it differently. And you're optimizing different things and you're solving a different problem. So it's just for me right now, the game that I changed was, okay, how do I do this bigger pocket stack method where you buy two doors, four doors, eight doors, 16 doors each year to how do I serve? How do I reach a hundred million people this year? How do I serve a million? And like, 
that all of a sudden wealth becomes so much easier to generate <laughs> because you're changing the games that you're playing and changing the problems that you're solving. So talk a little bit before we get into the like Airbnb and the short-term rental market in general, like the pros and cons here for this episode. Talk a little bit about your strategy because you had a specific like insurance strategy. You, you target a specific problem for a specific niche group of people. What are you doing that's generating this again for people that have not heard you before? Because this is insane. Yeah, I, I absolutely love this strategy, but it came from a place of necessity, really. So when we got into the luxury short-term rental game, I decided to go that route because ideally, uh, if the property is positioned correctly, I can charge top dollar. So instead of looking for 10 one-bedroom doors, I said, what if I look for two five-bedroom doors? What does that look like? I poured over spreadsheets. I poured over a variety of metrics and those numbers just completely blew everything else out of the water. Because when you think about it this way, you have three or four or even five or six families, individuals that are uh, W-2 earning, individuals booking your property at once, multi-generational, multi-family. These are all paying adults, right? And these five and six and seven bedroom homes. And with that, you can charge a higher nightly rate, but they still are getting a great deal because had they booked at a hotel, they would need three or four rooms. They wouldn't have that full kitchen. They wouldn't have the gaming area. They just would not be able to reconnect with each other, which is the purpose of that vacation. I stumbled upon another strategy in the midst of that. So that same property that was able and capable of hosting those multi-generational multi-families we got a, an outreach from an insurance company that had a large family that was displaced from their home due to a fire. And I remember this like it was yesterday. And so when we finally negotiated that contract with them, it was a longer term contract. It was six months with the option to extend. They ended up staying with us for 13 months, paying over $16,000 a month. And it was all paid for by the insurance company. How do you unsee those numbers? So you're telling me now, I'm now serving individuals and families who are long-term guests, but I'm still getting compensating my luxury short-term rental rates? Say less, my friend. So I doubled down on that strategy. It was in, in such alignment with our, our values, our goals, we're family friendly. This is our avatar. I travel with my parents and my siblings, my husband's siblings and parents and their spouses and kids. It just really fit the mold of how we travel. So those properties, we are our, our demographic informed how we invest, what type of properties we invest in. I've got my friend, he's a single guy, he travels solo. So for him, it's the high rises with all the views and the nightlife. So and that's me. Avatar. That's you, my friend. And that's a different yeah. avatar, right? And, and so I pay top dollar. I go out of my way. Like I will go through 20 pages of Airbnbs to find mm -hmm. the best view in the mm -hmm. best property. And then that's the one I'm doing. Beautiful. Exactly. And so that is what you're looking for. It's that higher end luxury professional who expects and who wants to live uh, in a luxury type of lifestyle. I, I think it's amazing. So once you know who it is that you want to serve, you stick to it and we just rinse and repeat. So we continuously get booked in the suburban properties by these insurance companies, whether it is water damage, so many water pipes burst guys, 
fire damage? Did you see all the storms that keep happening all over the U.S., all over the world? So I don't foresee uh, this not being a strategy that thrives year after year. So if we, can, if we can solve the problems of these families who just, there was a family, it was a family of 10 in a hotel. A family yeah. of 10 in a hotel. What a nightmare. Their, their house burnt down. What a nightmare. They want it out of there as soon as possible. And that's who we serve. And that's who we get to help. And I think it's so important that you say that because if you had a property that only catered to two to four people, the insurance companies, there's no way in hell. <laughs> like They would be like, all right, cool. We're going to put you over in this Motel 6, like you said. But now you serve a niche where like specifically you make it to where, okay, this is actually a discount for the insurance company because you're buying five hotel rooms for a month. Yes, you are. And now you can come here. You can do this one. The family's happier. You're happier. I'm happier. Everyone wins. And it all goes down to the importance. Two key lessons from this. One is know who you're serving specifically. And a lesson that I learned from that back in when I learned about all this stuff in business and entrepreneurship myself too, is if you sell like information, like safety information, you can maybe sell that for a hundred bucks. If you sell safety information for firefighters, then okay, cool. Now maybe you can sell that for a thousand bucks. Then you say safety information, like mandatory safety debriefing on how to create, how to pack your gear onto the truck. Then that's like a $5,000 thing. So it's all about packaging and positioning and who are you solving with this specific niche, industry-specific thing. And it's the same thing with what you're doing here and what we do with Action Academy because we said no to $30,000 of revenue yesterday, which is insane. We did three non-renewals of current members that were coming up on their year renewal. And we had three people that were that we were on the fence with about allowing to join the community. And then we ended up saying no, because after they spoke with multiple of the team, uh, things came to light where we're like, this isn't a personality match. This isn't a culture match. And, but because we know specifically who we serve, mm. that's exactly what you're saying. You're saying, hey, you and you, 99% of y'all, you ain't my market. But that 1%, I'm your only market. Yeah. It's genius. 100%. It's so genius. I love it. Yes. Yeah. So let's get into the short-term rental market in general. So right now we've seen, I haven't seen the most up-to-date headlines, but this is what you look at all the time so that you can be able to educate me a little bit on this. We saw, to catch us up to speed a little bit, New York having a ban on short-term rentals. Dallas, Texas had a ban on short-term rentals. Um, We have some major cities that are now like cracking down on this. We have a lot of people even over in like New Mexico, over in the Phoenix area that bought these short-term rentals, especially during COVID and in 2019 when the interest rates were low. And now all of a sudden they're not cash flowing. And then you see all these markets, all these properties coming up on market and disappearing for pennies on the dollar because the cash flow didn't support it. So first off, let's address what's going on in the short-term rental market in general. And then how do we position ourselves to actually take advantage of this and not be one of the ones that get wiped out? Yeah, and, and I call it the glitter and grit <laughs> of yeah. short-term rentals, right? It's a ton of glitter, but there's a lot of grit that comes behind it. So I, I posted a, a post on Facebook and it just went bananas because I said what I said and I just left it right there. And a lot of people had opinions about short-term rentals. And it was interesting to see what those opinions were. And what share, the, share the post as well. Yeah, yeah, I will. I'll share it. I oh, said sorry. something like... 
2024. <laughs> My 2024 prediction is a lot of people are going to leave short-term rentals and transition back to their W-2. People jumped off the W-2 bandwagon a little bit too soon. Some people did, in my opinion. I probably did, potentially. I don't think I did. I think I waited too long. But there is a place for the W-2. That's part of my strategy is knowing when and having a framework in place for when is a good time to to leave that W-2. And I know that's what you do in Action Academy. That is not my area of expertise, but I do I can see it from a mile away. Yeah, he left a little bit too soon when yeah. there were advantages there. So if you you don't hate it, uh, I, I believe there's some wisdom in, in staying in that W-2 and leveraging that stable income, that work history to get your entrepreneurial dreams off the, the ground. Don't leave without something uh, yeah. is where I was going with that as well. Because some people are like looking back, uh-oh, I need to go back and... Again, I'm not going to dig on them, but there, there was a, an illusion back in 2022 that you could just put a, a property on Airbnb and it, it would just get booked. And that was happening. Yeah. Any property, grandma's furniture, everything was getting booked like gang busters, right? So people were buying everything up. It didn't matter how much it cost. It didn't matter what the revenue projections were. They didn't look at P&Ls or performance and none of the numbers. And they got in, you're going to make money. And you did in 2020. Yeah, that's not happening now. So many have misjudged the numbers. 2020, 2020 numbers are not today's numbers. So I think that's one of the biggest uh, mistakes that our uh, community has made had we looked back perhaps to 2018 or 2019 to get a real look at what this ecosystem was because that's where we can normalize a little bit uh, then we would have a, uh, a better idea of what the future holds for for short-term rentals in particular markets so i would say number one is that misalude I would call it the illusion of short-term rentals and just misjudging the numbers. Yeah. And it's just being really quick to make a financial decision. So in real estate, the money's made in the buy. Yes. Money is made in the buy. That's multifamily, that's self-storage, that's short-term rentals. The money is made in the buy. So mm -hmm. everyone is buying off of projections and projected mm -hmm. cash flows yeah. and the best case scenario. But I've found that the best operators are the ones that say, okay, Here's the best case scenario. Here's the conservative scenario. And then here's what happens if all hell breaks loose. What happens at that point? How does this portfolio operate if all hell breaks loose? Yeah. And so can you walk through a little bit about like risk mitigation when it comes to this? So if you have people that are listening to this that want to do short-term rentals, how do they mitigate to make sure that they can stay in the game? Because real estate, if you just hold on and white knuckle it for long enough, you will make it, <laughs> but it's just, how do you avoid getting wiped out is the yeah. game. <laughs> so oh, what's some advice that. we can give? Yeah, absolutely. So when you say that the um, cash is made in the buy, that's one of the biggest ways to mitigate risk. Like I said a little bit earlier, I say more no's than yeses. So understanding my numbers and using the platforms that actually provide the most accurate past numbers as well as uh, future pacing, future projections as possible. Like for instance, I can tell you right now, one of our properties already has $80,000 in bookings for 2024. 
So that's future pacing, knowing that's happening with that property. What if I stand up another property in that same market and just set it up exactly the same and market it the same way? What is the opportunity there? So the beauty of the short-term rental world, you can copy and paste essentially. Copy and paste the top performers, rinse and repeat, and you can also land in the top five, top 10% based on those others who are winning in that particular market. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's not a set and forget it, but of course, knowing your numbers. And I use tools like AirDNA for sure. That's one of the number one tools that I use. Price Labs, right? To use that. Price Labs does my pricing. Yep. Yep. But if I'm going to invest, I'll use AirDNA to look at all of the past information as well as the future pacing to see what it's looking like for the upcoming year at this point in time. So that's future pacing, which I love. So mm-hmm. that absolutely is, is one of the best ways to mitigate risk before getting into the property. However, there are two pillars in risk mitigation when I have a property. Number one is cash reserves. Money solves mm. a lot of problems, right? <laughs> Money isn't everything, but let me tell you, money solves a lot of problems. So cash reserves and having it prepared when you don't need it is also very important. So when you need it, it's, oh my gosh, no one wants to give it to you, but it's when you don't need it and you have cash reserves, it helps so much. And that's where I can say I was grateful for my W2 because part of our strategy is if we felt like, okay, if all hell breaks loose, we can cover it then, okay, let's go for it. So mm-hmm. I had that luxury of having a higher income, paying jobs, my husband and I, when we first started off. So we're grateful for that. And building up our little nest egg, a 401k, what if this happens? What do we have that we can tap into in case of emergency break glass type of situation? So cash reserves. Number two, insurance. Damage insurance. Damage insurance is huge. Okay, so when I shared that post, Brian, there was a lady there. Oh my gosh, bless her heart. She says that someone um, came into her property. They use some type of toxic substance and just remove all the lining in the bathtub. What? (laughs) Like all the epoxy just stripped it. What? Are you kidding me right now? So I am a lover of insurance. I actually collect a a refundable deposit and a non-refundable deposit for my midterm rentals, okay? So let me me say that again for those sitting in back. I collect a refundable deposit and a non-refundable deposit for my midterm rentals because they're going to be in there for nearly a year. So the non-refundable deposit, it's small, it's somewhere around $500 to $1,500, But what does that do for me, Brian? It gives me a little bit of cash and a cash injection that I can then send to my contractor to go and do all the touch-ups on the property that's needed, tighten all the screws, do the thing. Because at the end of the day, operating expenses is eating away at a lot of people's bottom lines. That's why they're not cash flowing. Their operating expenses are so high. So I collect that non-refundable deposit because as we all know, wear and tear, it just happens. But the refundable deposit, that one's thousands and thousands of dollars. I tap into that if they have damaged the property. Protect the asset. You have to protect the asset. So those are two of the main ways that I make sure that we are mitigating risk, cash reserves, and collecting deposits. And actually, they're they're the same, right? It's both cash. (laughs) It's money. 
Yeah, I did the same thing. Like I sold some of my properties and then I haven't even touched the cash. I'm about to, I'm actually about to invest in one of the <clears throat> Action Academy members deals. So I'm going to pro- probably send 50 to 75,000 towards that. Yeah. But besides that, yeah, like private lending, I'm like, yo, I'll get into that. But like I'll help my yeah, own people first. You know? But yeah, I've had that cash sitting there because not because I, I need to use it, but just because it allows me to operate the business in a way that doesn't stress me out. And when you're not stressed and you're not worried, then you can make those decisions like I talked about earlier in the episode where I'm like, hey, this isn't the best fit right now. Like culturally, from a from an avatar perspective, like this is just not who we serve. And so I can make those decisions and it leads to a better community overall, like down the road. And another thing that you mentioned first, and then we'll get into markets, but I think this is important to mention. We're in a world right now that we're like three years post COVID where you have to be intentional about what market you pick, not just geographically, but what psychographic market that you pick. So right now where we are today with inflation and everything going, there's not too much of a market for good. There's, and there's three tertiary psychographic markets. So you have luxury, you have great, you have good, and you have discount affordable, right? There's always going to be the discount affordable. That option's always going to be there. The Dollar Generals, the Walmarts, right? The lowest price, race to the bottom. Then you always will have the luxury. But the market for good fluctuates based off the economy. So what you're saying with a short-term rental market right now is completely true. I don't want a good short-term rental. I'm not going to pay for a good short-term rental. I will pay for a great one. I'm not going to pay for a good one. I'd rather stay in a hotel. So it's important because you make sure to go above and beyond for yours. Now, this is different when it comes to long-term rentals because B-class makes the most sense for a long-term rental because the A-class will come down. When it comes to short-term rentals, which is a business, and you run a business, you are a businesswoman, just like me running the business, we want to target like to the upper side of the market because the market for great never disappears. The market for good can completely vanish. I'm curious about your perspective on that. Oh, I love that. Um, And I think you're absolutely spot on. What we have found, though, and what's been interesting is you can create a market for yourself in whatever market (laughs) that you decide to go into. You you can set yourself apart. So you're talking about the psychographics of it. Yeah. A a big tip that I'm going to share with the community is Say you're in a market that has a lot of cabins, right? It's a cabin market. Say it's not necessarily the most popular cabin market. It's out somewhere. However, you can leverage some of those design aspects, some of the concierge aspects of some of the most popular cabin market markets and, and leverage that into your market and become the market maker. Uh, so, for example, there is a, an undisclosed market that we're, we're tapping into. I'm not allowed to share. It's like I'm under an NDA with an investor on this particular market. It's out there. What we're implementing in this market is some of the things that you're seeing in Seaverville, in Gatlinburg, the, the movie theaters, the gaming, all that. No one has ever seen that in this market. And so this property is 
we're really excited about that because we did the same in Arkansas in that market and it's booked like gangbusters. So you can be the market maker if you're willing to think outside of the box and go outside of your actual geographical region and grab elements of those things that that surprise and delight, right? That has mm-hmm. it really surprise and delight your guests. And, and that's how you're able to do it. Have you read this? <laughs> I have not. Oh, it's I got so good. List. Okay. You would love it. I'm okay. like obsessed with unreasonable hospitality and I'm trying to get him on the podcast. I'll get Will on the podcast eventually. It is oh, so awesome. good. Cool you would love it. Will, cool Guid- Will Guidera. And it's, it's unreasonable hospitality, the remarkable power of giving people more than they expect. So that's oh, what we yeah. do with action. That's what we do with action Academy as well is we like in me and the internal team, the theme and the standard that we set now is I'm like, how do we run this community like a five-star restaurant, like gourmet dining to where it's just yeah. like above and beyond. So that's the entire book is this guy ran the best, mar- the best restaurant in the world, 11 Madison park. And they won like the best restaurant in the world. And he was talking about here are the hospitality lessons that he applied to go above and beyond to manage team, front of house, back of house, having the creativity of customer service versus the the business acumen back of house. It's, it's mm. awesome. You would freaking love it. That's exactly what he talks about. I love that. Okay. I just yeah. wrote it down on my list. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. But you're dropping freaking you're dropping freaking bombs here. I love this. I knew this was coming immediately. So now that we're saying all this about psychographics and making your market and doing all of this stuff, let's talk about also what geographic markets, because you just said it may be beneficial to go out of market. What should people be looking out for that are currently in the market to buy short-term rentals? So they, right now they're scared because they're looking at like the New Yorks, they're looking at the Dallases, they're looking at like the San Francisco's or something. They're like, okay, what should I be looking out for to make sure that I am not on the 2024 ban list or the 2025 ban list? Mm, Okay. So that's a great question. And, And we can for sure take it down this path where we're talking about regulations. Regulations are the elephant in the room for many. And my approach to that, Brian, is I run towards regulations. I like regulations. I don't like HOAs, but I like to go into markets where there is tried and true short-term rentals that have been there for years and years, and there are regulatory constraints. So what does that mean? It means that I know where I can operate and where I can't operate. So I'm not at the whim of whoever politician or whatever body or entity or stakeholder that wants to change things up on me. So I absolutely love areas where there are regulations because I have that clarity. Okay. I need to get this permit. I need these seven things and I'm good to go Mm -hmm. check. So I'm good on that. So the first thing I would say is look at markets with regulations. Do not stray from markets with regulations. The only two regulatory constraints that I avoid are, owner occupant. So if I have to stay and live in the house while my guest is there, that's not going to be a fit for me. And then the second regulatory constraint that I stray away from is a length of stay restriction. So if I'm only allowed to rent my property for 30 days out of the year, then that's not going to work for me at all. And obviously if there's an outright ban, you don't want to operate that way because we're not going to build our house on sand <laughs> where we want yeah. to build on solid ground. So for those of you who are thinking to yourself, maybe I won't get caught 
Yeah, I wouldn't chance it. I don't think that's a good business model and that's not going to help you to scale in the long term. So I would not chance it for sure, unless you have really deep pockets and attorneys that could, you know, back you and fight for your life <laughs> around the clock. <laughs> I would not chance it. So from there, we looked at regulations where it's good to go. The next thing I look at is an overall market occupancy rate. I think that's really important. You can get that for free on a, a number of platforms on AirDNA. If I look at the market and the overall occupancy rate for that market is 50%, that is a benchmark metric that I look at to determine, okay, am I interested in this market? Am I not? If it's at 30%, I'm not going there. Nobody wants to go there. There's just like a tractor supply that they're building there. That's the big buzz of town, right? No offense, tractor supply, if you're listening. Yeah. It's just that we're doubling down on the fact that it's very rural and no wants to no one wants to build there or travel there. So I'm looking for occupancy rate of 50% or higher because that indicates to me that people are actually traveling to this market. And from there, there's nothing like knowing your budget to, <laughs> to restrict you. So if I have a budget of 200,000, I know that I won't be beachfront in, in Destin. Maybe if I like beaches, I may have to go to Myrtle Beach or something like that. So then your budget is your big limiting factor. So mm -hmm. a 50% occupancy rate and then your budget, I think those two things will get you started in narrowing down in the big sea of all the places to invest in. Those two things will help you narrow down to maybe five or six markets. That makes sense. And from there, I filter it based on what are my goals? If cash flow is king for me, which as a W2 earner, that's what I needed immediately was cash flow. That's what I'm looking for. What's going to give me some cash flow and a cash flow of $1,000, $1,500 is what I'm interested in to start. Like that's the minimum. Or if I'm looking at cash on cash return, I may reposition the deals a little bit differently. If it's the tax strategy, although that's not primary, that's a secondary benefit that I'm looking at with the bonus depreciation, the cost segregation studies. Appreciation is another thing that I look at as well. But the two most important metrics when you're getting started is cash flow and cash on cash return, those trump all of the other metrics. If you are a W-2 earner looking to replace that income or reduce your hours. 100%. So in closing, if you could give two or three pieces of advice for somebody that's looking to buy their first short-term rental this year in 2024, what would you give them? Oh, that's a great question. I would say know your numbers. Start evaluating markets based on your numbers and getting a really good understanding of how the property has performed in the past, how the markets have performed in the past, and what it's looking like for the future. A lot of us, we are seeing bookings happening right now for, for the remainder of the year. So dive deep into the numbers for sure. And, and the second piece of advice I would give is don't necessarily run to those markets that everyone else is talking about. There are several hidden gems out there and and they have <laughs> a lot of our portfolio is because of those hidden gems and so we track things like the revenue growth in a market from last year to this year has the revenue in a particular market grown some so we navigate towards those particular locations we look at locations uh, that has a supply that has remained steady. That's part of knowing your numbers, because what I'm hearing from a lot of people is there's oversaturation. Well, you can monitor that 
Uh, demand does not mean saturation. Demand could be a good thing. So if the dollars are higher and there's more properties and there's more bookings, then that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's not saturation. It maybe means your property sucks and it's not getting booked because you haven't optimized it. And that's why we're here to support you every step of the way. Boom, baby. So where can people find out more about you? And I know that you always have the best freebies. So where do people find you? And then what freebies do you got for them? Oh, I love it. You can find me online. I'm at short.term.gems on Instagram. And I actually want to share, this is not a freebie, but there's a, it's worthwhile. I have a $97 summit coming up. It's called STRCPR. If you go to strcpr.com, it's breathing life back into your short-term rental (laughs) strategy. (laughs) That's freaking awesome. We're resuscitating we're going to be resuscitating, optimizing listings, um, looking at the numbers, looking at the metrics, looking at markets. This call that we have, this one hour, we can't really unpack it the way I want to unpack. I like want to pull up spreadsheets. I was like, let me show you these markets. But I get to to do that there. I've got four speakers coming alongside me, revenue manager, creative finance, operations that will be sharing how to breathe life back into your short-term rental. Let's Is this get online or in person? Yeah. It's online. It's four hours in February 2nd, 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. strcpr.com. It's 97 bucks. We'll get you a code, Brian, so you can share with the community. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I look forward to sharing that for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. As always, you're a freaking baller Mm -hmm. and I love watching you win and I love catching up with you. We need to talk way more. So thank you for being you. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. And with that, it's been Brian and Rachel with the. Action Academy Podcast, signing off. Hey, real quick. If you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it. So I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want. And I can only do that with your help. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.